Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies. My guest today is Doug Michaelman, president of the One Million Project Foundation and chairman of the Sprint Foundation. Founded in 2016, the One Million Project Foundation has had a mission to help 1 million high school students who lack reliable internet access at home reach their full potential by providing them with the mobile devices and free high-speed internet access. Doug originally came to Sprint following various high-level agency and in-house communications roles, including at Fleischmann-Hillard, AT&T, and Visa, where he spent 10 years as chief communications officer. Joining Sprint in 2014 as senior vice president of corporate communications, Doug worked closely with former Sprint CEO and current SoftBank CEO, Marcelo Clore, in 2016 to conceive and launch the One Million Project Foundation, which has become the company's signature corporate impact program. In his role with the One Million Project, Doug directs Sprint's initiative to help close the homework gap. With the Sprint Foundation, he oversees efforts related to corporate inclusion and diversity programs and community relations and outreach. From presidential campaigns to corporate communications, Doug has always found ways to infuse purpose into his work and his life, culminating in a purpose-first role at Sprint and at the One Million Foundation. Doug Michaelman, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Aaron Quitkin, a pleasure to be here. Nice to talk to you again. So what I didn't mention in the intro is that you and I have known each other for a couple of decades. And just to embarrass you a little bit, but in a positive way, my first meeting and interaction with you was at an agency called Fleischmann Hillard in the 90s. And to this day, I claim that you were responsible for the IBM e-business campaign, even though other agencies might have taken credit for it, I think. And I've always said that you were the creative genius behind that. Wow, Aaron, I didn't know that you remembered that. Talk to me a little bit about the conception, the development of the One Million Project, and how you and Marcelo got key stakeholders on board. First of all, near the end of my career at Fleischmann Hillard, I took over leadership of the Levi Strauss account and got to work with John Anoda and Dave Sampson. And Levi Strauss is obviously a values-led company, and I learned a lot about businesses operating with purpose, and it made a big impact for me, both what Levi's was doing and how those two communications leaders worked everything about that into their strategies, plans, and all their communications. At Visa, I also had the opportunity to launch that company's first ever global corporate responsibility initiatives just after it merged and did their big IPO in 2008. And in doing that work, which was focused on global financial inclusion, I was really inspired by the writings of Michael Porter up at Harvard, who obviously wrote Shared Value and the importance of not only government addressing societal problems, but also NGOs and business. And so I learned there that I think impactful corporate purpose programs have to be tightly connected to what the business does. So if I was uh, working for an extractive mining company, for example, I might advise that company to focus very heavily on environmental sustainability or impact on communities where mining happens or something like that. But I was at Sprint, and when I got there, my mandate was corporate communications and corporate responsibility. And that company had a pretty good history 
of leadership in environmental sustainability. But Marcelo came to me soon after I joined and he said, I want to do something different. I want to do something big. I want to do something connected to our business, which was connecting people through telecommunications. So that spoke to me and my team and I went off for a long time, did a lot of studying, and we came back with this concept of addressing what's called the homework gap. The homework gap is something that's a real problem in this country, but not really discussed at the dinner table every night. But the fact is that 5 million American families don't have the means to have afford broadband connectivity at home. And that means there's millions of students who leave their school buildings every day and they go home to a home without connectivity. And, you know, I can think about my kids who are now grown up and Aaron, you can think about your kids and clearly they were wired 24 seven, maybe more than you wanted, but they had the ability to get online, to do their homework, to research anything they wanted, to study for their SATs, to learn more about how to kick a soccer ball, whatever it is. And yet there are millions of kids who don't. And that's a crime, and it's just unnecessary in 2019. So with Marcel's leadership, we came up with a program about how Sprint can help address that. And we launched the One Million Project in, we announced it in fall of 2016, to your point. And we stated that we would help a million high school kids in this country who don't have internet connectivity at home by giving them a free device and free wireless service during their high school years. So totally silly question. How did you know there was a homework gap though? How did you know that there was that lack of connectivity specifically with those families and those kids? I'd like to say a lot of academic research, talking to hundreds of experts, but we actually read a story in the New York Times that Celia Kong wrote sometime in 2016. And we were circling around on issues like that. But after reading that article, that really helped us crystallize and focus what we were going to do. Because I think that if you did some sort of Gallup poll of the general population, people would assume that there's like 95% connectivity and there is no homework gap. They just assume everybody has connectivity, which obviously is quite wrong. That's right. It's an underground problem. And unless people talk about it, people don't pay attention to it. And then when you go and like I do into high schools around the country and meet the kids who are trying to do their best, trying to achieve their potential without listen to their stories of the challenges they overcome, the things they do to get connected, you realize how important this is and how unnecessary it is that we have the means to address this. We society do. And if we put our minds to it, we can. And from the moment that you decided, okay, this is going to be our focus, this is where we're going to put our dollars and our resources, how long did it take you from that moment from conception to execution? And I know it's a rolling execution because it's school by school and district by district and whatnot, but how long did that take? By the time we decided it was a homework gap, remember this was all just uh, myself and a few people on my team working with Marcelo. You know, we'd come up with one version of the plan and go in to meet with him and he would he would adjust it and we come in with another and we did this for about three months and then the opportunity came for him to announce this with president obama on a live broadcast in october actually october 12th 2016 
So he said, okay, we got to get this ready in the next three weeks. That This event was in North Carolina. recruited North Carolina. We talked about it with then-President Obama. We announced it, put out the, you know, all the communications that we were going to do this, made the commitment to serve a million people. And at this point, all it was was a PowerPoint document. And I'll never forget that on the plane home back to uh, headquarters, he turned to me and he said, okay, now you got to get it done. So that was October 2016, and we initiated our first trial with 10 schools in January. And we did that from January through May of 2017. And then we launched our first full year in the school year that began in late summer, early fall 2017. I mean, that's still phenomenally fast for the size of the corporation, right? I mean, to be able to move that quickly. That's a, you know, tip your hat to Marcelo. I learned a lot from him, including think big, move fast. It's okay to make mistakes. Just learn from them and move on. As we were putting this together, we realized no one's ever done this before, so there was no one really to learn from. So we just went out and did our best. And knock on wood, uh, we've helped a lot of kids almost uh, two full years later. So how many kids have you helped or provided outreach or closed the gap for so far in your estimation? I'd say as of today, some, I'd say close to 260,000 kids in 200 school districts across the country have received the device and are receiving free wireless service so that they can be online just like their classmates who come from families with more means than they do. So you're going to start to see now if you haven't already, because I imagine these kids are a different either freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, right? They're not all freshmen per se. So some of these kids have graduated and gone on to other things, either to advance their education or to other jobs, right? Have you been able to at least track or anecdotally hear from them and how this has helped them in terms of their own success and their own journey? Yes, and before we chat about that, I will say that we continue to work hard to figure out a way to quantify and track results across that population of 250,000 kids with real numbers and hard data, but it's really hard because school districts guard student data very tightly. But yes, anecdotally, we hear stories all the time. And in fact, we had a couple of young women on campus, the Sprint campus, just this week who are in the program at a local Kansas City high school, and they were talking to some of our employees. and. They told just amazing stories. One, one of these young women, their mother's in jail, so they lived with their grandmother. They had no connectivity. As a freshman, they were getting C's and D's because they couldn't keep up with their homework. And she claimed now she's getting, she's about to graduate in a few months and she's getting A's and B's. And this really helped in a huge way get her on the right track. The other one, uh, the other young woman's a junior in high school and she comes with a family with nine kids and a single mom and explain that, you know, her mother does the best she can, but one of the things that wasn't in the budget was connectivity. This one had to, this girl had to actually compete to get into our program because that's the way the school handled it. But she said the device really changed her life in so many ways because she's also an athlete. And so after, you know, she'd go to school, then she'd go to practice or be in a game. And by the time she was done with that. It was seven o'clock at night. And if she didn't have the connectivity 
that the One Million Project made available to her, she didn't know where she would go to be able to then start and complete her homework. Again, she claims she's an A or B student now, but more importantly, she said she's able to share some of the connectivity with her younger siblings and also help them with their homework, which was really, really very touching to hear. And you kind of wear two hats, right? So you run the One Million Project and you're also in charge of the Sprint Foundation, which has a broader mandate, which might include things like inclusion and diversity programs and other community relations and outreach, right? That's correct. How do you, one, find the time, but also how do you divide your time between the two? And what is the main focus of the Sprint Foundation or what gets you incredibly excited? I know there are a lot of initiatives around the Sprint Foundation, especially relative to the business roundtable announcement. And suddenly now it's not about shareholder value. It's about giving back to society. And I'm not saying that in kind of a tongue in cheek kind of way. I just think that I'm always questioning trade groups and associations that they think they, they find a trend that can monetize versus really doing it for good, which is, I think, been a hallmark of your career. So how do you balance those two? And also, how do you determine what to focus on in the Sprint Foundation as it relates to the corporate initiatives? The Sprint Foundation these days takes less of my time because Sprint itself, as it was launching the One Million Project, decided it wanted to put most of its philanthropic resources into supporting the One Million Project. So the Sprint Foundation still exists and mostly to support many, many community causes in the headquarters city of Kansas City and some national causes as well. Do you think you would have been able to get done or get the the One Million Project off the ground without Marcelo's support and vision? Because I found that a lot of this has to come from the top. And if it doesn't, obviously, one, it takes longer, and two, it sometimes dies along the way. I had two very different experiences at Visa and at Sprint. At Sprint, this was Marcelo's baby, and Sprint was in a turnaround situation. and been losing tons of money for years. And without his leadership and firm commitment to this, this never would have happened because I think a lot of other senior executives might have seen it as a distraction. So they now see the value in it. That was pure strength. At Visa, for many reasons, this was not initially led from the top. It was actually led by my team. We saw a great opportunity for Visa to burnish its brand and, more importantly, live up to the expectations of its stakeholders, including its employees, just back before it was going to do at the time the world's largest IPO in 2008. So we created concepts and started finding business champions and leading them then to take it to the top of the house to get funding for it. You know, in my experience, it works different ways in different companies. Obviously, it's never going to be big or as big as it can be if your CEO is not a strong supporter of the initiative. Was there anything that you had not anticipated that really surprised you? Some key learning? in building the One Million Project from scratch? It's hard to give away stuff for free, even to people who need it. That was our shocking revelation. In year one, we expected to serve 200,000 students in about 120 different school districts around the country, including New York City and Los Angeles and Chicago and many others. And we shipped at the beginning of the school year. 
200,000 devices for students to those school districts. And by the end of the first year, those school districts were only able to identify in this 113,000 kids to whom they could give those devices, which was shocking and frustrating to me in our first year. And we really had to unpack that and, and learn why it was that. How could it be? Because we knew there was need. We had done the analysis of each of these school districts and had a pretty good idea of how many high school kids were in those school districts who did not have connectivity at home. And it came down to three things. One is we rely on the school districts as our partners, and it's their people who have to identify the students and get them to become part of the program because for lots of reasons, we can't do that. School districts were so sadly and vastly under-resourced that they didn't have the people to do this as robustly as it's required to do it well. Two is not every high school student who has a need actually wants to raise their hand and say, I have that need. And we learned there's two reasons behind that. One is what we call stigma. And some students don't want to raise their hand and say, I'm the poor kid. I'm from the family who can't afford it. I have attention drawn to them in that way. So we call that stigma. The second thing is many of the students who have a need who we can help are from immigrant families. And in the current political environment in which we live in today and over the past few years, these families are deathly afraid of signing up for any kind of program that they fear will allow anybody to track them. And that's a travesty and a shame because we don't care who the kid is. If there's a high school student in this country who's trying to do their best to get a good education and achieve whatever goals they have, we want to help them if we can. And we don't care who that student is. Wow. I hadn't even thought of that second component. I totally get the stigma one. I get the bureaucracy, the under-resourced, or competing with other social needs that these kids have, but I hadn't actually thought about the immigration component. It'll still block us from serving tens of thousands of kids this year who we could be serving. I mean, I hate to end on a down note. Actually, did you say there was a third thing, or did I not? Did I miss that? It was, it was a third thing. It was the school resources plus those two, but you want to end on an up thing, one of the great joys in my job, Aaron, is that I get to see unsolicited emails and tweets and other things that come to us or members of my team thanking us. And today I just read one a little while ago from a high school teacher in the Los Angeles School District who's got, and actually it's interesting, he's got a hundred students who have only been in the country for a year. And he said, many of them are participating in the program. He was just thanking us for the amazing difference we make in their lives. It's feedback like that, that excites and energizes our team and makes me thankful every day for the opportunity I have to get paid to do this work. Well, and I, I should have mentioned it before, but we're also a proud supporter and partner in working with you and your team over the past year and a half, almost two years, I think now. And I know that the team feels very fulfilled and always excited about working on, on this project because they're able to see the end result as well. Doug, it's great to have you on. Just let us know, what is the best way to follow the One Million Project? 
Well, there's a robust social and digital media program run by a very good agency called KWT. But I think you can follow us with hashtag One Million Project. You can go to our website, which is OneMillionProject.org. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on LinkedIn. And that's the best way to keep current on what we're doing. And Aaron, your team is terrific. They are passionate. They're wonderful to work with. So we're glad to be connected to your organization. We thank you for the support you've given the project over the years as well. Well, the feeling's mutual. Thanks again, Doug. My pleasure. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always-on-point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at Podcast. And learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com.